marathon, a marathon. Who's, who's done marathons here? Go on, be proud. It's okay, it was a big achievement. Big achievement? No, it's less than I thought. I thought it'd be more than that, maybe two or three there. All right, well, I'm, I'm not much of a runner, perhaps you can tell. But I've done a few of these shorter races, but they're all much the same because at the start line, let's see if we've got this here. Should I put this up? White slide, that's not right, is it? None of these are right. Okay, here we go. Ah, uh, eh. All right, I've lost the first few slides. Anyway, fine. Well, at the start of the... Let's have the white one. At the start, it's all smiles and fun, isn't it? I had a picture of people smiling at the start of a marathon there. I don't know what's happened to that. Uh, and there's sort of anticipation and excitement, and everyone's looking pretty good. And at the end, it's pretty much relief for anybody who's made it. Uh, and there's many people that uh, don't. But that's bit, that bit in the middle where you can hit the wall, right? I believe this is a thing you do. You hit the wall in the middle of a marathon. Uh, and that's that part where you're a long way from the finish, uh, and you're starting to struggle, but you have to kind of keep pushing through. Uh, and even if you don't hit the wall of that midpoint, the midpoint of any run is hard, right? Because you've already done a lot, you're getting pretty tired, you've had a bit enough, but you've not quite got that like finish line is in sight boost to keep you going. Now, we've been working through our, our, the book of Acts, a part of the Bible, which is an eyewitness account of the earliest followers of Jesus as they learn to understand what Jesus has taught them and seek to fulfill his mission to spread the news of his kingdom as far and wide as they can. And the book focuses at the moment, uh, the bit that we're in, on one of the key leaders, a chap called Paul, who frequently describes living the Christian life as being like a long endurance race. And if you're a Christian here this morning, then you probably know what Paul means. Following Jesus can be hard and it can be difficult uh, and progress can feel slow and tiring. And in fact, if you're honest with yourself, maybe some folk here have hit the spiritual wall, struggling to keep going, wondering whether it's worth, uh, really worth all the struggle. Well, we're going to pick up the story again as Paul is traveling towards Jerusalem. And on the way, he passes by the city of Ephesus, where he'd spent three years establishing a church. And he knows this is probably the last time that he's going to see these uh, Ephesian friends of his. So he takes time to meet them one last time. And Paul himself is at that kind of midpoint of his spiritual journey. He looks back on his journey so far, and he looks forward to what's ahead, and he wants to impart some wisdom to these other runners around him as they continue their journeys on. And it's that speech to the Ephesian church leaders that we can see three ways that Paul tells us how to keep running. It gives us three uh, ways to break through the wall and journey on to the finish. Now, some of you might be near the start of your race with Jesus and full of energy, full of excitement, big smile on your face. Um, and others might be a long way in, but I can say with certainty, if you're not struggling at the moment, there's going to be times that you do. We all know people who have packed it in and stopped following Jesus. And we're all going to face times like that in our Christian walks as well. When we're tempted to pack it in, sit down, take off your number, untie your shoes, whatever, and go home. And whether you're in that moment right now or whether you're going to face that moment at some point in the future, you need to prepare for that. Uh, and you'll be glad you listened to what Paul had to teach us about it, about how to keep on running. So let's read. Luke's going to read to us from the passage. It's page 1111. 117. 1117. It's only four pages. Right, Acts chapter 20, verse 13. So see if you can find that. 1117. Where should I stand? Here. All right, Acts 20, 13 to 24. <clears throat> we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. 
He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail for, sorry, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. <clears throat> Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul set, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Amen. I'm open page 1117. So, section starts with some eyewitness travel detail. Uh, Paul and his companions are in a place called Troas. We're in this kind of red box here, if you're not so good with your geography. Uh, and there are... Oh. I don't know what's happened to all my slides. Oh, well, anyway, there was a map there that showed you the Troas was at the top of the map and the place that they end up, Miletus, is down the bottom of the map. And that takes about five days to travel through that and we get all the detail of Paul's journey. The reason isn't given why Paul decides not to visit Ephesus. He could have dropped into Ephesus on the way. He decides not to for one reason or another. And instead, he goes a little bit further down to Mytilene and he calls the... Um, Ephesian elders to come to him instead. And so they come across to him the 20 or so miles from Ephesus, uh, to Miletus, sorry, at the bottom there, uh, at the bottom of the map, as you can see. And he starts by looking back, surveying some of his time with the Ephesians, showing us what it's like to run the race. Uh, and we're going to look at some of the features of Paul's race so far. Uh, and some of them may surprise you. So look down at your Bibles and let's see what we get. The first thing we can see, I think, is that it is a, it's a personal thing, right? He starts with this word, these words, you know, verse 18. He's saying to the leaders, you know, you saw, you were there, you experienced. He wasn't some great leader tucked away in some temple or in a kind of walled city, meditating and just pronouncing from on high. He was down in the trenches. It's not like a solo race that he's running with his headphones in, practicing. He's there with other people running alongside them. He says it was slow because he says there, I lived the whole time I was with you, verse 18, the whole time. He devoted himself to them, and it was over three years that he spent with the Ephesian church. He didn't just roll into town, hold a big church gig uh, uh, in a local stadium, and then kind of roll out of town. He was there for years, day after day, devoted to them, slowly getting to know them, living alongside them. 
His race was humble. He says, I served the Lord with great humility there in verse 19. He wasn't some exalted celebrity pastor enjoying the fame of being the big man in Ephesus. In fact, we know he made tents in the morning for a few hours and then preached in the afternoon in this guy called Tyrannus's hall that Tyrannus owned. Day after day, month after month, year after year, slow, long, tiring, unglamorous work. And he says all this was accompanied by tears and severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, verse 19. And we know that that got so bad, his time in Ephesus ended with a riot. And that's why he had to leave Ephesus, started by these opponents. Verse 20, keep looking. Again, it says, you know, you were there, you saw that he spoke without hesitation. And not just the kind of popular, palatable message of God's love, but the unpopular, equally true stuff that was challenging to the Ephesians. Anything that would be helpful to you, he says. Uh, And we know that sometimes we need a bit of a challenge, a bit of a kick up the backside to get going when we're off base. Uh, and, And Paul was ready to do exactly that for the Ephesians. Not scared of a tough conversation. Verse 20, he taught publicly and from house to house, wherever he could, in all settings. Oh, here we go. That's not where we are. Oh, I'm giving all the good stuff away. There we are, we're back. Okay, um, yeah, anything that would be helpful to you said that. Publicly from house to house, he spoke to both Jews and Greeks, all types of people, all types of settings, preaching the full truth of the gospel, that this is not just a story of, of God's love for us, but our need to turn in repentance uh, and trust in him. So slow, it's long, it's up close, it's personal, it's humble, it's tear-inducing, it's severe testing, it's day by day, month by month, year by year, popular, unpopular, wherever he could, to all types of people, the full, palatable, easy message, the difficult, hard conversations. The whole thing, it just doesn't sound easy. It sounds like a hard road that he's been walking. Well, maybe things are on the up for Paul now, okay? It's been a hard slog. It's been a hard time with the Ephesians, but it's all going to be downhill to the finish uh, from here. He's done the hard work. God's going to call him into victory and success as he journeys on. Well, read on. Verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Doesn't sound much better. It sounds probably worse. And this is God calling him into it. He says, compelled by the Spirit in verse 22. God's leading is not always into ease and comfort. Here, God is actively leading him toward prison and hardship. Prison, hardship, painful, slow, toil in in the face of great opposition. And this isn't even the worst of what Paul experienced. It's not like this is some kind of freak event in an otherwise blissful life of spiritual ease. Listen to this summary that Paul writes of his life elsewhere. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, danger at the sea, danger from false believers. I've lived I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst and gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure for my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak, he says. He's struggling. It's hard work. And that sounds pretty bad. Doesn't sound good. But there's more bad news. Paul's experience is not unique. In fact, he's only following the way of the master, the way of Jesus. And if you're familiar with the life of Jesus and his teaching and his ministry, you'll know that 
Jesus' ministry was marked by these same features. Here's the features we picked up of Paul's ministry, uh, in Paul's spiritual life there. And you can see that Jesus' life was just the same. His ministry was personal. It was slow. It was humble. It was accompanied by tears about opposition. It was unpopular. All these same things. Jesus laid the path. Paul is walking the path. Now, you might be thinking, well, glad I'm not one of those spiritual heroes. I mean, obviously, I'm not Jesus, and I'm certainly no Paul, uh, so I'm glad like, it's, it's going to be better for me than these guys. They had it tough, you know, doing that. Well, here's some bad news for you, because this is Jesus talking about what it's like to follow him. Listen to some of these things. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Remember what I told you. Servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So here's Paul's first lesson for running the race when it gets hard. We've got to adjust what we think the race is going to look like, what it's going to be like to run this race to the finish. We've got to recognize the route. The route to the finish is slow and long and hard and up close and personal and humble and tear-inducing and likely to face opposition. And that is what to expect. So get ready to face that. No one except a total eejit goes to the front of a marathon dressed like this, thinking they can just do it. It's known to be a hard thing. You've got to get the right shoes. You've got to protect your feet. You've got to train your joints to put up with the impact. You've got to train your heart and lungs to put up with the endurance. You've got to pace yourself, focus on what you're doing. It's known to be a hard thing. It's going to be a hard thing. People expect it to be a hard thing. They're ready for it to be a hard thing. And in our spiritual lives, we often start with the opposite view. We have this idea that I'm going to come to Jesus because he's going to fix my life. It's going to sort out all my problems. It's going to make my life easier, my life better. And sadly, that's often what churches and leaders will tell you. But that is not the teaching of Jesus, not the teaching of Paul, nor the life and experience of Jesus or Paul, nor the experience of most Christians in 2,000 years of church history. Ten steps, ten Bible steps to being a better dad. Five lessons from Jesus about investing in Bitcoin. (laughs) How Jesus gives you health, wealth, and happiness. If that's what you're expecting from your spiritual life, that is like rocking up at the start of a marathon line, dressed like this, expecting just to run it, like it's nothing at all. It's crazy. And I think this failure to recognize that route, that it's going to be hard and it's going to be challenging, is a source of a lot of the reason that people fall away from the faith. Because if we start the Christian life thinking this is a route to ease and comfort here and now, we've got real problems when things don't work out that way, which they inevitably won't because Jesus himself says it won't work out that way. And if that's what we're expecting, that's we're going to be struggling. And when it does get hard, if we've not recognized the route, we're going to start drifting off course. Now, maybe you're the type of person when things get tough in your spiritual life, you maybe say, look, I'm the failure here, okay? Living the Christian life is because I'm rubbish at it. I'm a loser. I've always been a loser. So it's no surprise I've mucked this up like I've mucked up everything else in my life. It's my fault that it's hard going. 
Everyone else just kind of strolls along like it's no big deal, but for me, it's really hard. It's because I'm me and because I'm a failure. Or you might package that up slightly differently and say, it's hard because, you know, God doesn't really love me. Like, I'm, because I'm not that lovable. You know, he's singling me out to make it hard for me because he doesn't love me as much as all these other guys who he loves a bit more. Uh, and I, if I was a better person, a nicer person, less broken, then this, this whole thing would be much easier. For, he'd make it much easier for me. But of course, that is not right. It's not right. We've seen that it's hard for everyone. It was hard for Jesus. It was hard for Paul. No one finds following Jesus easy all the time. There are folks around you, sitting near you, who are struggling. You might not be able to see it on their faces, but they're struggling. And if they're not struggling now, they'll struggle at some point. So you're not finding this hard because you're a failure or because God has failed you, but because it's hard. Now maybe... You're a bit more like me. I'm not that guy. I'm this guy. Um, More arrogant, more sure of yourself. And when things are hard, well, the problem couldn't possibly be anything to do with me. Uh, It can't be that I'm not not doing this right. It must be that this whole thing doesn't work. The Christianity thing's not right, not true. uh, And God just hasn't got his act together. That's why it's it's hard, because he's not pulling his weight. If he was picking up his side of the deal, it would be much easier. He's led me down this path of suffering and difficulty, so either he's not a very good leader or the whole thing's a bust. So whether you blame yourself or whether you blame God, things are hard because you have failed to recognize the root. Jesus never promised your best life now, a path of ease and comfort. Neither did Paul, neither does any of the other writers of the Bible. It's a slow, tough route. So recognize that and you will be better prepared for when it's tough. So if you want to run the race, you've got to recognize the route. All right, so what's next? Well, Paul gives us his pro-tip mindset that will help us endure when the route is getting tough. Let's look at it. It's in verse 24. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 24, just a short one, uh, really uplifting. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Paul's secret is to value his life worth nothing except in the service of God. And what he's saying there is you've got to count the cost. You've recognized the route. You know it's going to be hard. Next, you've got to count the cost. This is the only way to walk this path. Throw off the things that will hold you back. Abandon the attachments to this world, your old way of life. Following Jesus should be so radical, it's like death and then rebirth. That's why we use the phrase born again to describe someone who's committed to Jesus. It's like they've started a whole new life. Their old life is dead. Everything about that is gone. They've started a whole new life following him, committed to him. And Paul says that when it's hard, that's what we need to remember. We need to count the cost. Uh, a big part of your marathon prep, there's a picture of um, somebody prepping for a marathon here. A big part of your marathon prep is going to be getting the right gear. If you're like me, you like to spend a fortune on the gear. That obviously helps you do the thing better, right? So we buy the expensive trainers, the right shorts, blister plasters, chafing cream, whatever it is. Get ourselves prepped. But then when we're doing it, we don't just carry our phones around watching Netflix while we're like running our marathon. We focus on the task at hand. We're training and we're running this marathon and it has priority in our lives when we're doing it, I imagine. You know, we could be sitting on the couch, but we put our trainers on and we get our 5K in. We could hit the snooze button, but we put our trainers on and we go for a jog around the block. It'd be easier not to bother. It'd be easier to put our own ease and our own comfort as number one, but because there's something more important at stake, We put that down, we count the cost, and we get on with it. And Paul's saying that to stay in the spiritual race, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to count the costs. 
put the priorities of God before your own. And Paul says that means consider your life worth nothing. Consider your own needs as of zero importance compared to following God and honoring him in our lives and concentrating on the task at hand. So the obvious question at this point then is, well, where are your priorities now? Where are my priorities now? Let me ask you, do you have the concerns of God foremost in your life? It can be hard to know. Let me ask you some questions, see if any of these um, hit home. Have you ever sacrificed anything in the service of God? Ever put something second so that your faith could come first? Ever had the spiritual equivalent of thinking, you know, I'd rather stay in and chill out, but I'm going to go out and do my 5K? Career, money, family, relationships, health, your own life goals, self-fulfillment. Ever had to say no to something that you wanted so that you could say yes to something that you know God wants for you? I'm not going to take that job because it won't be as good for my spiritual life if I do. We're not going to make that financial decision because it impacts how generous we can be in service of God's family. I'd really rather not come along to church because I'm tired. I don't like a bunch of people. Music's not my thing. Preacher this week's a bit rubbish. Kids have a football game on. But we're going to go anyway. Maybe with your friends. I know that what I'm about to say here isn't going to be popular, but it's faithful to the teaching of Jesus, and so here goes. I'm going to speak it anyway. It's easier not to do these things. It's easier to take the road of comfort, of ease, of fitting in, of a better job, of more money, a better career, but that is not counting the cost. That's not considering your life worth nothing in the service of God and putting God's priorities before your own. So, we've recognized the root It's going to be hard. We've counted the cost. We've put God's priorities first. And Paul's got one last one for us. We've got to focus on the finish. Verse 24 again, second half of verse 12. Look down at it in your Bibles. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The point of running a marathon is to complete it, right? The doing of it, is the purpose of it, the completing it. Nobody gets to 25.9 miles and then says, yeah, that's fine, plus plenty, I'll just stop here. Nobody does that. You're crossing the line, receiving the medal, getting the t-shirt, the bragging rights on Facebook, whatever it is, that's the whole point of the doing it. Paul's, the point in Paul's journey here is about midpoint into his Christian walk. It's about AD 56, this part of the Bible, uh, and he's at that midpoint of his race when he's writing this, 20 years or so into his Christian walk. And of course, the question is, well, you know, what happens to him? Does he make it? Does he, does he complete the race? Well, we can skip forward another 10 years to AD 66, and we find him in prison, facing death by probable beheading, and he writes one of his last letters to his young protege, a guy called Timothy. And he uses a very similar phrase to verse 24, but he adds a little bit at the end. So let's look at that together. It says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. A crown of righteousness is waiting for you at the finish. Eternal rest, joy in the presence of God forever. And Paul says, remember that as you run. Focus on the finish. When the race is hard, 
We've got to recognize the root. It's, it's going to be hard. Don't be surprised. Don't let that take you by surprise. We've got to count the cost. We've got to put God's priorities first, and we've got to focus on the finish. Look forward to what God has promised to help us keep going. So, let me ask you, how is your race going? Here's a picture of somebody really struggling with their race. Um, maybe you're cruising, cruising along pretty nicely at the moment. Praise God for that. If your spiritual life's in a good place, great. I'm really, I'm really happy about that. But remember to recognize the root. It's not always going to be like that. So don't be surprised when things get difficult. And if things are going on well, well, count the cost. Keep putting your priorities before God's. No, the other way around. See, we're all listening carefully. Put your priorities below God's. Is that what I said? I don't know. Anyway, that way around. God, you. Uh, and then focus on the finish. Look forward. Look forward to what, what is in store for you as you continue to run the race. Maybe you're struggling. Here's someone really struggling with their race. You can see it in their face. They're hitting the wall. You're finding it hard to keep running. Well, the, the advice from Paul is the same here. He says, recognize the route. If it's hard going, don't be surprised. It's hard going. That doesn't mean God's failed you or that you failed God. It's, it's hard. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to find it slow. But keep going. Don't give up. And keep going by counting the cost and focusing on the finish. Maybe like this guy, you've left the race altogether uh, and you've kind of hit the wall, given up, and gone home. Ah, it's not working. No, thanks, thanks, Horst. No, it's not working. Uh, maybe you've left the race altogether. Perhaps you, maybe you didn't even really ever start the race. Maybe you're just a spectator. I've always been a spectator, not really in the race. Well, Paul tells us, you know, how do we get into the race? How can we rejoin? How can we restart? Uh, Paul tells us here, verse 21, look at it in your Bibles. It's right here in his little speech. Uh, he summarizes what he has spent his life preaching. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turning to God in repentance just means changing direction. It means turning away from the way that you're going and changing to go God's way. Joining the race and having faith in Jesus is trusting in him to lead your life, to live under his lordship. And it's joining that race that leads to the ultimate prize of being made right with God and being welcomed into his presence forever at the end of all things. That is the only race worth running. So when it's hard, recognize the race, recognize the route, sorry, count the cost, focus on the finish, and keep going. Thanks. In fact, let's pray. Let's pray. I'll pray as John comes up to lead us in a final song. Heavenly Father, we all struggle as we walk this Christian life and we can be tempted to blame ourselves or we can be tempted to blame you. Thank you for the reminder this morning that when it's hard, that's okay because it is hard. Uh, but help us to recognize that. Help us to count the cost, put your priorities above our own, even when that's difficult. And help us to focus on the finish, that crown of righteousness that awaits, being welcomed into your presence when you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to keep going, we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. The race that we have to run is certainly beyond any of our individual capacities. We have a